The community of inspectors general lost one of its leading lights recently with the death of former Interior Department IG Earl Devaney. Devaney also headed up the Recovery, Accountability and Transparency Board back in 2009. Here with more on the meaning of Devaney's career, the National Science Foundation Inspector General Allison Lerner. Ms. Lerner, good to have you back. Thank you. A pleasure to be here, Tom. And the Interior Department's current IG, Mark Lee Greenblatt. Mr. Greenblatt, good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Of course, I knew Earl Devaney and had been on panels with him and had him on the show during the Rat Board era. What's your main impression of him? Because I think he was inspiring to a lot of current inspectors general. Allison? They coined the phrase larger than life for Earl. And he was, not just physically, though. His presence, his charisma, his passion for oversight shaped our community in so many different ways that we, we still feel. So his loss last week really resonated with all of us. And Mark, the Interior Department itself is somewhat differently constituted, at least some parts of it, thanks to his mm-hmm. direct work there. Absolutely. He was, uh, as Allison said, larger than life. He was a, a true trailblazer in the oversight community, and it had material impact uh, here at the Department of the Interior. In fact, one of his uh, most prominent investigations led to uh, the disbanding of the uh, Minerals Management Service, uh, which found uh, significant problems with their royalties in kind program to the tune of $10 billion and a wide array of just very bad misconduct, frankly, uh, and led to the breakup of that bureau, which is a pretty significant thing in the federal government. That doesn't happen very often. So yes, uh, to, to, to your point, that was just one piece of significant impact that Earl had. And I think IGs in some ways are analogous to chief financial officers. That is to say, they are statutorily enabled and created. But it was many years before CFOs and IGs really kind of gained the stature and level of authority that Congress envisioned and that the federal government needed. Would it be fair to say that Earl Devaney was one of the people that helped push that ball along? Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that distinguishes IGs from CFOs is our independence. Nobody embodied an independent, focused overseer better than Mr. Devaney did. As I said before, the passion that he had was an incredible gift to our community, and we're, we're still benefiting from it. There's no question that he raised the profile of the inspectors general yeah. community, which is uh, just critical for us to have real impact. And I, I think it's safe to say, you know, Teddy Roosevelt said, speak softly and carry a big stick. Earl spoke loudly and carried a big stick. Uh, he did both. He had a, a colorful personality. He had a way with words. He was a fantastic storyteller. And that connected what we do, which can be theoretical and, and very nuanced. Uh, but he was—he had a gift for converting that into what our stakeholders, be they in Congress or in the public, what they can understand and what they can act on. And fierce as he was as an overseer in personal dealings, he was very disarming. True, wasn't he? Absolutely. I, I think, and he he cared for and stood behind his staff in a way that I think everyone who works for an IG would want to have happen. So he he was wonderful to work for, and his office prospered under his leadership because of the security that people had, that if they went out and did their best work, whatever came as a pushback came as a result of that, Mr. Devaney would be there and have their back. We're speaking with Allison Lerner. She's the Inspector General at the National Science Foundation and with Mark Lee Greenblatt, the IG of the Interior Department. And you're also both active in the SIGI Group, Councils of Inspector General. I always have the sense that the council itself kind of got some 
impetus from the Rat Board that Earl Devaney had, horrible name for an important group, the Rat Board, but subsequent work by individuals, but also as a group through SIGI, especially in the aftermath of pandemic spending, which made the Recovery Act seem puny by comparison in terms of the dollars. But in that way, he influenced the current work. Indeed. I think one of the things to say about Mr. Devaney is he was older than I am, but he was so up on technology and the recovery board benefited from his fascination with and his belief in using technology and directing that to make our oversight better. And what you saw in the Recovery Operations Center and the the utilization of data analytics, I mean, back in 2009-2010, hardly any folks in our community were using analytics in their work. That's completely changed now in 2021, and I think there's a direct link between that and, you know, what we all learned by observing the recovery board. When I said he was a trailblazer earlier, it's it's that mm-hmm. point uh, that Allison just raised. Not only was he a trailblazer in the sense of raising the prominence of the uh, inspector general position that we talked about earlier, but it's this other piece about uh, about truly cutting edge analytics uh, and and diving into those huge streams of data to uncover and prevent waste, fraud, and abuse in federal dollars. And and he was a trailblazer in that regard, and we are all following that trail right now. And having his chair at the Interior Department, that must feel like a, a burden at some times, or, and there's probably staffers there that remember him directly. Absolutely. We've been talking about that with them over the last few days since Earl passed. A lot of folks sharing memories, uh, and uh, he he does, uh, you know, loom large at the Interior Department and at the Interior Department OIG. And it, But it's a wonderful legacy to follow, frankly. Uh, you know, I would love to, uh, you know, I do emulate what he did. Uh, you know, his matters, the, the cases that, that they uh, did, the investigations and audits and evaluations that they did, they're on the Mount Rushmore of cases for my office. Uh, And, uh, you know, that's something I certainly emulate. There's no question about that. So what's the best way forward, do you think, to make sure that that type of legacy lives on in inspectors general? Because as you said, he changed government in a lot of ways for the leadership that he was able to exercise. Well, I think we're, we're trying to figure that out. How do we honor his legacy? How do we, you know, incorporate? Well, you know, we, we talked about a second ago, the data, right? We're working that, uh, you know, everyone is using the methods he uh, that he laid out and his team laid out back with the RAP board uh, now. And also just making sure that the IG community is independent, apolitical, and says what's on its mind. I think that's something that all of us are learning from him. But we're right now thinking about his legacy and, and uh, you know, we're thinking about ways that we can we can honor him to, to ensure that the trail that he blazed, we continue to follow. Allison, do I sense a scholarship or award program brewing here? Absolutely. What some of the things that we are thinking of right now. And and I think one last area that, that we can honor him is by continuing his commitment to transparency, um, because that's another beyond data analytics. That's a, that was another gift that the recovery board gave, not just to our community, but to the American people, you know, being able to trace down and see, you know, to the zip code, how Recovery Act funding was being spent. Um, that's inspired the PRAC and the incredible work that it has done with respect to the pandemic spending. So, you know, finding ways 
to continue to honor the importance of transparency as another way of honoring his legacy. And Mark, any final comments? You know, I think the community can stand to learn from what Earl did, as, as Allison, with respect to transparency, with respect to our independence, fiercely guarding our independence. And he had such a way with words. I, you know, yeah. I wish we could go through all of the famous quotes that Earl Devaney had. You know, he, he said he said at one point, you can't be a poodle and you can't be a Doberman pincher. You got to find, uh, you know, some middle ground. And he said, and you, and you can't make Congress angry and the administration angry on the same day. You're going to make them angry, but don't do it all on the same day. Day. I mean, he had you know pithy quotes like that, which were which were just uh, genius. He said uh, at one point someone said he doesn't want to be a lap dog and he doesn't want to be an attack dog. He said I don't I don't like being compared to dogs every day. Just funny quotes like that, where I think he uh, he took his job very seriously. He took care of his team, but he had a uh, a great way with words. And so I hope that I can incorporate some of that in, into my daily vernacular as well. Mark Lee Greenblatt is not the watchdog, but he's the IG of the Interior Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. And Allison Lerner is Inspector General at the National Science Foundation. Always great to have you on. Thank you. Wonderful to be here, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader, and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person, personally, was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while, although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then clean houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and 
obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right? To try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind. 
um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second. Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.